So, Shaheen, you said you wanted things to be a little bit more informal and and hip, I guess. Uh, I think we did some of that. <laughs> I think that the, like, occasional where you would ask us a question, and then as we were answering, you just heard, like, the telltale, like, cork of a bottle. Like, <laughs> you were the one most adamant about not eating and not, Professionalism. You know. everyone and welcome to may we geek again a podcast covering a little show we all know and love called the hundred over on the cw network we are on episode three uh my name is jennifer and i am joined today by my co-hosts shaheen and joe hey guys howdy hey guys (laughs) (laughs) hello oh that was what that that had a little bit more energy than the last time we did this (laughs) which is like burp burp so I I really appreciate Shaheen yesterday your your tender little moment in Skype chat where you got a really excited about recording today and then you said and I quote I miss both of your stupid voices. <laughs> Why uh, we gotta be stupid? True, true story. <laughs> oh, thanks Shaheen for those little moments of of making sure my self esteem isn't too high. <laughs> exactly. Well, cool. Yeah. Both bring me, um, bring me down. I said a nice notches. thing at the end. <laughs> As I a mean, whole, it's a nice thing. You're all about your technicalities, aren't you? <laughs> oh, so uh, thanks everybody for listening to us today. You can uh, find us on social media. We're on uh, Twitter at May We Geek Again, and our our feed is also available on iTunes. Uh, we also started a Facebook page, so it's, uh, I believe it's facebook.com backslash may we geek again. It's actually uh, a forward will... slash. I don't mean to nitpick, but, you know, if you're going <laughs> to direct people Where? to the Keep internet. It for the well, actually. It's a for- well, actually, it's a forward slash. <laughs> when I have been corrected. Oh, I'm, whatever, forward slash, the thingy on the keyboard thing. I mean, I'm surprised uh, you didn't just say you can find us on Facebook at May We Geek Again. Like, you're trying to give, like, the URL. Do you want to spell out the www, like, in case we have any, like, in case, you know, people's parents are listening? All right, I You're all fired. You're all fired. I will not stand for this. You can find me personally on social media at CoolHandLuquette on Twitter and DeclareShenanigans.com. The other two losers don't want to be found on social media, and that's fine. Um, I am I also not want, on them, uh, that's as you right. guys well know. <laughs> You're on the Facebooks, though. Yeah. And I also, I just want to do a little shout-out mention of a little fundraiser that Lindsay, Lindsay Morgan is doing, a.k.a. Raven, uh, who we all know and love. She has done a T-shirt that is supporting Equality Florida. Go, go to uh, represent.com forward slash Lindsay. <laughs> Is that that's, correct? That's Lindsay with an E-Y, not an A-Y. And it's yeah, an Lindsay. E-Y, I think, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I, I checked. Okay. And then we'll also tweet and Facebook about it. It's for a good cause, everybody. It's got a picture of uh, Raven on it. And I believe, what is the slogan on the shirt? Oh, God. I'm horrible at this stuff. <sighs> I think it says we all have our scars or Yes, something we all like have that. our battle scars or something. Yeah. yeah, something like that. So a lot of the cast are buying them. Like I said, it's for a great... Uh, it's for a great cause. 
So let's get into the podcast talking about the the episodes that we watched. We're discussing today uh, episodes uh, five through eight of season one. Um, and they are in order, Twilight's Last Gleaming, written by Bruce Miller, His Sister's Keeper, written by Tracy Bellomo and Dorothy Fortenberry, Contents Under Pressure, written by Akila Cooper and Kira Schneider, and then Day Trip, written by Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain. And I have to tell you, the, tell you guys that I really think that these episodes are kind of the crux of where this show really, really starts to define itself and define a lot of its themes. I know we had some shit go down in the first four episodes that kind of set the direction for the show, but I think these four episodes kind of really put that tent pole in the ground and, you know, set up the stakes that we can assume, you know, are going to play out through the rest of the series. And we, we do see those, those themes play out through the rest of the series. So I really, really enjoy these episodes I don't know what you guys thought of this. these episodes as a block. Um, I, I think, I, I, to your point of them sort of setting up the way that the, the show goes, um, I definitely think that we get into some of the really more serious, sort of ongoing moral gray areas. Um, I think yeah. that the first few episodes where, you know, we deal with Charlotte and Wells and Murphy, that sort of very, uh, like, lawlessness and sort of in these episodes, five through eight is where we kind of get to see, okay, we're building a society. How do we protect that society? How do we deal with outsiders? How do we deal with people within our society? And so, you know, it, it definitely gets into sort of these, it where the show sort of thrives, which is, you know, you're presented with a really terrible decision. Someone is going to get hurt. Is it worth it? Can you do it? I agree. I think that um, these these four episodes, um, and I mean, the next one is going to be Unity Day, right? So if oh, you yeah. think of the, this batch of five episodes in, in between, this is really great batch of episodes. And it, uh, most of the themes uh, that define the show uh, are um, heavily explored in these episodes. But also even in terms of sort of episode structure. I mean, one thing that I always like about The 100 is that each episode is kind of like its own story, and but it also advances the story of the season. And so we have that in these four or five episodes in between. We have this idea of each episode kind of being its own journey that has a beginning, middle, and end. And then, and then the whole thing with flashbacks coupled to the present time, that idea that we still, we're still having in season three, uh, all this started in these four or five episodes. So yeah, definitely great, great batch. Yeah. I think, um, I think these episodes really set the hundred apart as a show that you can, that, 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 that claims to be high stakes, but actually follows through on those stakes mm-hmm. and shows you that there are not going to be 11th hour saves. There are not going to be any deus ex machina moments that are going to frustrate you as a viewer. Um, because I think one of the things, oh, okay, guys, all right. I, I didn't mean to get into this this early, but I, I, I got to go on a little rant about current go for TV it. entertainment. So everybody just, uh, Go to your fallout shelters because I'm about to drop some nuclear heat. I am so fucking tired of shows that either claim to be high stakes or 
fake us out to think that they're high stakes and then just turn out to be like any other show on TV. And you don't have to look far to find one show. And my example is always going to be The Walking Dead. Um, so spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the, the latest uh, episode or the latest uh, season of The Walking Dead, um, number one, don't bother. And <laughs> n- Wow. N- number two, you might want to skip ahead. I, I don't know. Look, when... When The Walking Dead kills off a main character, they've gone so far to turn that character into somebody the fans no longer like that it's not it, it it's not impactful. It doesn't mean anything, especially to the fans. And then when they do threaten to kill off a main character, they have that motherfucker crawl under a dumpster and, and <laughs> spend a number of episodes between the dumpster crawl and the revelation of, oh, Glenn's just fine. He was under the dumpster the whole time. Like, fuck you, The Walking Dead. I, I just like, ugh. And then uh, we know somebody is dying at the end of um, The Walking Dead this this season because we know it's happening. Negan is taking Lucille uh, to the side of somebody's head at the end of the episode, but we have no idea who it is. Lucille being a baseball bat. Yes, for, Lucille for being a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, by the way. Um, she She's fancy. She she's is going fancy. out on the town. <laughs> <laughs> and I will bet you... Uh, huh. What is a bet I can actually do? I will like, hmm. I don't know what I can bet and actually follow through on because I don't want to eat anything weird. But I will bet you (laughs) that they don't end up killing a main character. They're going to kill a tertiary or a secondary character. They're not going to kill Daryl. They're not going to kill Rick. They're not going to kill Michonne or Glenn. They're certainly not going to kill Glenn after faking his death. Like, so these TV shows are so, look how... I'm pretty sure it's Glenn. That's interesting. <laughs> well, it's, I don't even think Glenn makes it out of the, the comic book. I, I, I don't even think he exists very far in the comic book. But they're so right. far afield now of the comic books that I don't, I don't use those as a guide anymore. But it's just like, don't, don't pretend to be high-stakes shit if you're not going to follow through. And the, yeah. the 100 – oh, I, I, said, I almost said the, the 100 because I'm old. The 100 always – <laughs> Wait, what? I said it in Australian because every single interview that you see with the the Aussie cast, like they're like, and the 100. I mean, shit, the 100. <laughs> um, maybe it's just me. Anyway, sorry. Well, then, Continue. Then, then I am in, in good We can company. just settle with that you're old. Like we can just cut out my part where I'm talking about the cast and you can just own up to the old. You can, you can fuck off. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, the 100. I'm just okay. So it's just like <laughs> the hundred is one of the rare shows on TV that that sets up really high stakes and actually follows through. You, you, we've seen these deaths, both main character deaths and deaths of masses masses of people, innocent people die. And I'm I just want to say I appreciate the show so much for not pulling its punches, for being a show that is unafraid to to show and tell difficult stories and difficult images and i'm just it's one of the, it's just a, a treasure out there in the world of a bunch of bullshit tv that's that's really only concerned with building um and maintaining just a status quo of bullshit 
And that's all that The Walking <laughs> Dead is. The, the Fear of the Walking Dead is going to turn out the same way. There are many other TV shows that don't have high stakes. Um, and all they want to do is just perpetual, just shit pouring out of the writers and, and out of your TV at you. And it's, I'm fucking sick of it. So are you, anyway. are you are you specifically talking about like the high stakes being the calling or uh, I'm, like what's I'm, to come on the hundred or you know like which like what are the high stakes that we had in in these couple of episodes? So Wells's death to me showed oh they're they're not pulling they're not fucking around. But um, we also didn't know him. Yeah, like, that, that's we true, liked but him, but in in ninety nine point nine percent of every other TV show, the culling would not have ever happened. They would have seen those flares. They would have stopped um, sucking the oxygen out of out of Section 17, and they would have saved those 320 some people. I guarantee fucking to you, 99.9 percent of TV shows that would set something up like that would save those folks. And they faked us out in a good way. Those flares got you know they saw the flares too late. So here's a question that, that I have. Okay, do we count those kills for Bellamy? Like, are we blaming Bellamy for those, considering that, like, he kind of set up, like, the chain of events that led to them not being able to use the radio? Like, does are, the, are those kill counts Bellamy's? Uh, in your, in both of your guys' opinions. I personally like the fact that you can't really find a person to uh, fully blame for anything that happens. That's what I like about it. So I don't like to think or? of it that way. Yeah, on the show. I mean, and I think it's a reflection of reality, but on the show, this is what distinguishes it for me. So I think so they're shared. It, responsibility. He, he is involved in it, but you know. Yeah, no, yeah, I think Shaheen has a very good point. I think there's shared responsibility. I think that he is culpable for it in the same way that he is culpable for the the leading up to um, what happened in season three with. Uh, people are going to get pissed off by this, but I do hold Bellamy somewhat responsible for Lex's death, as I do Pike, as I do Sky Crew, as I do Titus. Um, so there's a bunch of uh, of things that happen that make that result in a specific thing. So it's not just one thing. So Bellamy is responsible in a way, but he's not 100% culpable. I mean, obviously, Kane and the rest of the the council. Uh, they voted for it, right? So it, the ultimate responsibility is on them. So, you know, again, it's the moral gray area. And what, I, and what, I mean, Joe, what are your thoughts since you asked the question? Oh, I mean, I guess it was just sort of like thinking about if we're talking about, you know, who has the the higher death count. And, and until we re- rewatched these episodes, I was, I had kind of forgotten that if Bellamy hadn't, been selfish about trying to save his own ass and like get rid of the radio that mm. it's possible that those people would have been saved. And so in some way I'm like, mm. did he, has he, has he actually surpassed Clark? Like, is he, is Bellamy Juan Heda, like at this point? Cause I totally forgot that he has an extra 300 people under his belt at this point. I, or don't, they think even- he's, I don't think he's surpassed Clark because Clark has over a thousand body counts on her. And and hers uh, hers were more impactful, her, uh, you know that that one had a title that's a little that classist. That's a little <laughs> classist to say that hers were more impactful because the people that died in the culling were unimportant. 
that. Oh, whoa, 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 oh, let me explain myself. They were, they were <laughs> impactful to the story, not necessarily as people. So killing off Mount Weather impacted the grounders far more than killing off those 300 people impacted any other part of the storyline except for character development. So the writers are classist. No. Are you are you taking the piss or are you being serious here now? I'm just I'm just fucking with you now. Of continue. course you're fucking with me. Fuck Jesus. So so back to my point about Juan Hedda. That is a title given to her by the grounders because what th- what she did at Mount Weather ended uh you know a generations old threat to them and you know imbued her with that power or title or whatever. Whereas that was an active that was an active choice. She pulled the lever with Bellamy and they killed people actively where Bellamy's actions was a consequence of a bad decision he made and bad timing and an inability to get that radio running and like a whole bunch of other little dominoes had to fall to make it where the calling actually occurred and the flares didn't get sent up in time. So, but isn't that like in some ways a little bit worse? Like, 300 people died as a result. I mean, yes, it is this chain of events, but like in that instance, it was Bellamy being personally selfish. Yeah. And this kind of, this actually kind of gets back to something that we might talk about, I guess, maybe next uh, podcast um, with a discussion that you and I had about whether or not we're even supposed to like Bellamy at this point um, in the show. But anyway, let's, let's, let's move forward. Yeah. But here's the deal though. Okay. Bellamy did not have all the information at his disposal to make a good decision. Would he have made a different decision? I do believe he would. We see we see a, a great deal of character development with Bellamy, especially in uh, Day Trip, where he admits that he's a monster because he knows he he knows and feels the guilt of what happened with the culling. And I think kind of the, I think kind of the character development that was set up in 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 episodes one through four showed us that this is a guy who will think about the greater good and not be selfish. He he would have run. He he probably would have stopped the calling from happening and left the radio if he knew, and he would have just run like he was intending to do in, in Day Trip. I mean, he but, started okay. helping them um, to stop the calling when he learned two things. First, he learned that Jaha is still alive, and second, that uh, there's going to be a calling. So... Those two pieces of information changed his mind and he started helping them. So those are the two things that the, the two things that motivated him. But um, how much he would have changed if he only had uh, the information about the calling? That's a good question. But I feel like uh, I agree with Jen. He would probably not not throw the radio away anymore. Joe, what do you think? Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like... It's in these episodes that we do start to see Bellamy having sort of growing up. I think I think you guys are right. Like he might have done something different uh, in terms of the culling uh, and and throwing and not getting rid of the radio. But I think it's in these sort of first few handfuls of episodes that Bellamy definitely he doesn't always get it right in terms of kind of this maturity that he has to reach in a very short amount of time. So, you know, he might have, I mean, yeah, he might have kept the radio and, and, and run. He might've done something else. I think, I think it's really hard. He's kind of, you know, the Blake's, the Blake's 
act and then think about things way, way later. And so it's kind of almost hard to guess what Bellamy might ever do in a situation because like, he's just going to do something and then deal with sort of the consequences after that. Yeah. I mean, everything that Bellamy does is basically um, under the same, can be understood under the same package of uh, traits. Uh, He's very protective of some people that he considers as, family he's very protective of little kids and he can act rashly when those people are in danger he's capable of doing some very um some decisions that are not well thought out so that's always been the case and you know he's never been sort of um just ruthless or you know just no with no regard with other life and he's never been so, you know, careful either. So I feel like he's always been consistent. I think this, you know, this discussion is kind of along the lines of our favorite world building moments. So, uh, Joe, to, to keep talking about the calling a little bit, you, you had an interesting comment um, that the calling the volunteers just weren't limited to men. Do you want to kind of explore that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, like if you... You know, getting back to something like, you know, the easy example, of course, would be the Titanic or something like that. Um, you know, the the sort of tradition and way things, you know, have always been presented to us in media and stuff, you know, as women and children first get saved. Um, in this case, uh, when you look at the people who had volunteered for the calling, it was sort of, I mean, apart from the fact that there were no children, um, and it certainly wasn't only the elderly, uh, you know, it was able-bodied, young relatively, you know, adults, um, of both sexes who were, who were volunteering and sort of allowed to volunteer, which, um, it sort of gives you not necessarily like hope for the future or anything like that, but just, it's just an interesting sort of small little, little detail, um, in the same way that I feel like, uh, Battlestar Galactica would have sort of those details of, you know, men and women, um, occupying the same you know, posts in, in, in their military. Uh, I just, it it was just a small detail that, that I, that I liked and that it wasn't, it wasn't shoved down our throats and you kind of didn't even pay attention to it in that, in that, you know, what I like to call the Rudy scene, um, you know, where everyone kind of goes in one by one to, to volunteer. Um, it, it was just, it was just something that, that struck me about a detail that they wanted to very clearly make obvious. Yeah. I also, in regards to the calling, just one thing that I want to just plant this little nugget. Uh, I was thinking about it, and I was wondering if the calling is perhaps Sky True's or Sky Crew's brightest moment in the show. Uh, because have they ever done anything altruistic since, or have they just been agents of, of death in this world? Uh, we don't have to discuss that, but just think that. Think about that moving forward. It's just. I have a very, very specific theory that Sky Crew is is probably the worst thing to have happened to Earth since uh, the nuclear disaster, um, because they just they just come to the ground and fuck shit up for, for Walk, three seasons. Walking pox blankets. <laughs> they are. They're just small pox. Yeah. Also, so, from a population genetics standpoint, you're eliminating the most cooperative genes in your population. Um, <laughs> The, the most docile. The most co-op, yeah, the, the ones that are readily sacrificing themselves. The most altruistic genes are just being deleted. So, so you're saying that they should have, like, 
everyone that volunteered should be put into, like, Sector 17, and then they should have gotten rid of the oxygen out of all of the other <laughs> sectors. Exactly. Like, like, the ones that are least willing to cooperate, just throw them out. Joke, joke's on you. You guys actually lose oxygen? Yeah. Nice. That would have been a far different show. would have worked. <laughs> so, uh, who... Who's who put the uh, the art supply store as one of their favorite world building moments? It's got to be Shaheen, right? Yeah, um, I like those little places that they keep revisiting, and um, I mean the art su- the art supply store was just what was it like a an old it was it was a it was a bunker um, was it like an RV or something or was it just a bunker I don't know. it but, was it was some old prepper's bunker. Yeah, but was it, there was also a car that they hid in once. And anyway, that there that wasn't um, there wasn't much more to explore there. But the depot and and the area around it looked like it was the ruins of some 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 sort of ruins. Uh, and then the the depot and just Lincoln's uh, Lincoln's lair cave whatever. They're, they all disappeared from the story. Like, it would have been nice if um, Octavia revisited Lincoln's cave in season three. They probably but, scrapped the set for something. Yeah. Or, you know, it got, like, got used up yeah. in someone else's, uh, <laughs> you know, some other shooting that happens in Vancouver. They're like, hey, do you guys have a cave? Right. <laughs> they Can probably we borrow didn't ski this have for a Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, I kind of, yeah. I, I would have liked to have... I feel like there was so much that we got from season one that, like, just is completely gone now. Like, the two-headed deer, the glowing forest, like, all the shit that we were like, oh, that's really cool. And then they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that was it. You you get it once, and then now we're done. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, it's... That's going to be the, the issue with any sort of serialized television where they're trying to move the story forward and they're introducing new stuff into it. And maybe some of the old stuff that they had introduced way early on just doesn't quite fit anymore into that world or it, it doesn't it doesn't warrant the time spent on it. Uh, so, you know, I understand kind of why they move away from some of this stuff, but, you know, there's other stuff, though, that they move away from that you kind of have to, well, actually, in retcon in your mind, uh, because it doesn't, it doesn't fit anymore in the whole narrative. I think another, another thing that we have here under world, world building, I think is really interesting, is that our introduction to grounders is very interesting and purposefully misleading. Uh, I believe that would probably, is Shaheen, is that something that you had put in there? Yeah. All right, go at it. Um, yeah, so I uh, one thing that I like about the way um, world building happens on the hundred is you're usually introduced to uh, to something new from one perspective, from the perspective of people who ha- who know nothing about it, and they're very scared of it, and they already have these um, images or prejudices about it, um, and then the way that they they get introduced to it is misleading because they find all these scary items like those weird skulls and and the you know strung up skeletons and you know weird things like that that um sort of confirms their prejudice and then slowly you get to uh learn about the complexities of of that culture and you know there, there are people there are people like Lincoln in that culture and the, you know you you start to learn that there's more to it uh, there are more layers and it's very interesting because it's translated literally into visual 
effects like the the skeletons and, and all of that stuff like it that d- don't come back later but i would like to interpret them as just sort of how scary things looked to these kids you know and and that's how it would look to you if you if you had this prejudice that you know you're up against some savages or whatever you know so it's very interesting and then when you learn the complexities it all kind of starts to make sense in a bigger picture and you know yeah. it's really cool yeah it's you know it's very purposeful because it's we're actually just seeing one point of view um and lincoln kind of comes in as that grounder character that breaks that prejudice, I guess, of, of what the grounders actually are. And Octavia is really the only one who, who sees him differently than anyone else. So I think when we're talking about Lincoln, we, I think some of us, our favorite scenes or our favorite scene had to be Lincoln's torture. Um, and again, when we say favorite scenes and we say, Oh, torturing somebody, that was so great. (laughs) Um, it's, I think it's actually, I think Lincoln's torture sets up basically the moral dilemma for the whole entire show. And in, in Bellamy says uh, who we are and who we need to be to survive are very different things in response to the whole thing that they've done with Lincoln. And my question is really though, are you really different from what you do or what you're capable of doing? Or is that just an aspect of who you are? And my analogy is, you know, those, those people who get like angry, drunk, um, they're not happy drunks, <laughs> but they, they start drinking and they just get surly and angry. That's who they really are. That is not, that's not just something that comes out when they're drinking. That is deep seated within their personality. So I think it's, I, I think Lincoln's torture is, such an important scene, and there's there's a lot of dynamics um, in this scene that you really have to look for. the The thing that I found interesting was they kind of look. It seems like they wait a little bit for Clark to give them the okay to move forward with the torture, and then she nods to Bellamy to say, "Go ahead and do it." So it, the the leadership dynamic is kind of being set up where where Clark is the decision maker. And everybody else can, of course, give their their input and opinions. And she looks to Bellamy to be the executor, especially of some of this stuff that is a little bit more darker and, and harder to do. So what, a couple of you guys said this was your favorite scene. So let's let's explore that a little bit. Well, okay. So like backing up just a tiny bit in terms sure. of what you were talking about uh, in terms like and in the theme of the show of sort of an us versus them, you know, this, this savage guy that like, we don't know who he is, like all grounders are savages, you know, that kind of a thing. I think apart from the very like obvious sort of romantic aspect that they're trying to set up with um, Octavia and, and Lincoln's abdominal muscles um, is (laughs) that of all people to not view an outsider as dangerous or something to be feared or anything like that. It's the girl who never got to meet anyone else. It's the girl who lived under the floorboards and really only knew her mother who is dead now and her brother Bellamy, like anyone else that she was ever exposed to was a danger to her. Um, They could report her. They could, uh, you know, she did the one time she did leave um, and went to that party, you know, bad shit happened and she got caught. So yeah. of all people, of all people to be more the most open-minded about 
a stranger. It's the girl who had to fear all of her own people. I don't know. I just, I, I, no, I kind of appreciated that. No, I mean, apart a, from the romantic aspect that they're obviously trying to set up. Yeah, the whole uh, Romeo and Juliet type of thing that they're doing. Um, I think it's also interesting just with Octavia. Like, how, how does she have any social skills? Well, she doesn't. Did you see how she, like, went into the party? Like, she was totally the homeschooled kid who was, like, <laughs> super awkward. And you're like, I mean, you're lucky you're pretty. Um, but anyway, um, um, she, in, in terms of the tortures. Sorry, go ahead, Shaheen. Sorry. Um, one thing about Octavia is that she doesn't feel um, any sense of belonging to Sky Crew because she's never been with them. Uh, and so she's open to identifying with any culture or any site that she wants. Um, so she's more open to the grounders from the very beginning because she doesn't think uh, the sky people are, you know, that big a deal anyway. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think that's interesting. And also it's through these four episodes, it's very, it's very noticeable that Bellamy and Octavia become estranged from one another, um, mm -hmm. blaming each other for, um, mo their mother's death. Uh, Bellamy is resentful that he had to take care of Octavia and protect her all this time. And Octavia, of course, had no control over any of it. I mean, she didn't ask to be born. She didn't ask to have to be hidden under the floor. Mm -hmm. So it, I, I, it, well, one of my favorite things about this, the, the whole, these four episodes is kind of the setup of this dynamic between brother and sister and how they kind of ebb and flow with one another as far as loving one another and then being resentful because of their, their past. And then of course, as you move forward, especially into season three, the actions that one sibling does in order to quote unquote, protect the other sibling doesn't work out too well. And, um, in fact, well, works out rather tragically for, for Octavia. Well, there's a great um, line, um, like already just in these three episodes uh, or in these four episodes where um, Octavia says to Bellamy, stop blaming me for your mistakes. Everything that's gone wrong is because of you. And exactly. like that, she said basically the exact same thing to him in season three. And, you know, it's something that I think one of Bellamy's big arcs is like, he makes these rash decisions and he rationalizes all of them based on all of these external factors when it's really his own internal processing or lack thereof that like actually causes these actions. Like there's yeah. no reason for him to necessarily always go out and do these things, but you know, for, for Octavia to just call him out and be like, you know, this isn't my fault, you know, you do this. And, you know, she called him out about it, about Lincoln, you know, in season three, like I thought that was actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised obviously if that was a, a, a dialogue parallel that, that they were aware of. Yeah. I mean, certainly, um, they, they've, they've set up these siblings to, to have these, these conversations and these conflicts with one another. And, uh, you know, moving into season four, we've got an open field. We have no clue where the Bellamy's or the, the Blakes are going to be in season four with one another. I, I don't think it's gonna, it's gonna be any better than what it was at the end of season three, because, we didn't. We saw. We saw an apology, but not a. It's my responsibility from Bellamy to Octavia. So, talking about the Blakes, we we did get um, we did get some feedback from one of our listeners, Danny, who who really needs us to discuss a very important topic when it comes <laughs> to the Blakes, and it, it's really a debate. Who who has the more 
<laughs> Who has the more attractive family? The Blakes or the Griffins? Shaheen? <laughs> um, I don't really want to participate in this debate. But um, I want to say one thing. I want to clarify last week when I said Jake is too handsome. Um, <laughs> I kind of mean like he's almost handsome in a boring way. Um, he's like, Just to be clear. Yeah, like the, the Griffins are handsome in a boring way. Um, They're like conventionally attractive. Like yeah, all of them are just... same with Abby. Um, I okay. guess Clark is maybe not so conventional because she's not skinny. But, um, but yeah, other than that. But the, the Blakes, um, I can't really quantify who's more handsome than who, but they're, they're, they don't look boring. The Blakes don't look boring. So. For, for somebody and who didn't Octavia want to participate. Octavia is super cute. Uh oh, we got a little nugget of information. <laughs> Shaheen liked Octavia. Baby I mean, Octavia, you know, super cute. Look, <laughs> all right, look. This is this is a fairly simple debate. the The Griffins are more attractive because number one, Paige Turco never ages. will will be twenty years older from now, and she'll still be impeccable. Um, Eliza Taylor, of course, is gorgeous. Dude that played uh. Uh, the dad. Yeah, he's handsome. We, we still haven't learned his name. <laughs> like, still haven't like, learned his name. Two weeks later, we're like, guy. It's just much respect. Uh, the thing that I find, here's what I'm basing my my decision on. Attraction is more than physical. It's who's who's who has the traits that I find more attractive. And the Griffins are smart and um, resourceful. And I find that to be a little bit more attractive than than the Blakes, who are are brave and strong, but they're also uh, they also act before they think. So that's what I'm basing my thing on. And I know Danny is going to be like, "But Bellamy is the dreamiest." Chris Browning is the Barry. actor. Yes. Thanks. Shaheen with the heavy lifting on the Googles. Thank I you. Know, right. I mean. Does this does this also get back into sort of? I mean, well, first of all, we don't know who the Blake's uh, dad is, even if they, they share the same father. They don't. Um, That's the thing; so, they don't share right. the same father. So we don't. We don't. We can't really base them on you know sort of an attractiveness uh, of their family. But is that something? Because we were talking about you know last week about attractiveness having to do with uh your position of power uh on the arc you know so more attractive people are gonna you know have risen to the top um but you know we can objectively say that the blakes are an attractive family so my question then is is with regard to you talking about the griffins being more thinkers and the and the blakes being more doers um is that itself like is that a commentary on their position in, you know, if they thought a little bit more then maybe they wouldn't be, you know, a janitor and a girl who lives under the floor. Like, is that, is that something that we can read into sort of the way that their characters are presented to us? I want to point out that the Blakes are from section 17. Did you guys notice that? They are? I did not. I love those little details. Yeah. They're when you can see it on the door. They're from Section 17, so that's supposed to be like a, a working class, sort of low-income part of the arc. I don't okay. think that you can totally blame them on on them. On them. They really just come from a, a lower class, supposedly. 
Yeah. Mom, but, but mom made sure that they were educated as well, which I think is, is also sort of a crucial detail. Yeah. Um, she made sure that they were well read. Um, yeah. But Useless it's interesting. Greek I, mythology. But, <laughs> but, but he got to impress but Clark with point it. Taken. And be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, that, that, that education and useless Greek mythology gave us the overanalyzing of the Iliad's impact on season three, um, uh-huh. which I'm sure everyone appreciated. When, when looking at these four episodes and considering who is the MVP of these four episodes, I know we all probably want to say LeBron James, but he wasn't involved. So let's talk about the people who actually were involved. For me, uh, I think the M- my MVP was kind of default to Raven because she was so crucial in, in contacting the Ark. Well, first of all, falling to the ground, obviously, that was a big thing. And then b- having the, the mechanic know-how and skill to rebuild the radio and contact the Ark so they could let them know, hey, we're alive down here. And set up that line of communication was vitally important. So she's, you know, she's my MVP. I don't know, I don't know if I really like her when I go back and I watch these episodes. And I think it's, I think it's some of the the dynamic and the conversations that she has makes me not like her as much as I do now. And I, I can talk about that a little bit later. But who who are you guys uh, MVPs for these four episodes? The only thing that really kind of honestly jumps to mind in this case is, and this actually is kind of surprising me now that I'm just thinking about this, is uh, Octavia in the Lincoln torture scene. Like, she's the only one who is like, hang on a minute, guys. Dude likes me. You all know that he likes me. Like, I I was amazed that it took sort of that long. And I know that they had to, you know, build up the drama and torture him and, you know, beat him with, you know, a, a cable and electrocute him or anything like that but the fact that like raven of all people is the only one actually thinking of like how she can leverage something against this guy because you clearly torturing octavia? is not uh, yeah oh, sorry yeah yeah sorry octavia how she can actually like use some amount of leverage because continuing to torture him is not working and it the fact that it takes clark and bellamy like they don't seem to realize that that's not working or eventually they do. And they're like, well, I guess we've run out of ideas. And it's like, well, no, like you have leverage. And well, I, they don't, I don't think they know though. They, they don't know that he likes Octavia. And even if they did, and even if she had said something, and I think maybe she did try to argue for him, uh, they weren't going to believe Octavia. They were no. just like, Finn is dying because he's poisoned. We have to get this information out of Lincoln. You know, Raven comes up and does her little electrocutie thing. And Raven's, you know, obviously very desperate at that point because, you know, Finn is really her only family. So I kind of understand why why Octavia is, is, is put to the side a little bit as far as anyone thinking about her opinion in that situation. But, yeah, she you're right. I mean, she is kind of really important to figuring out the whole – um, how to get that information out of Lincoln to uh, the the antidote information? So that's that's um, an interesting uh, take. I also want to say that I really like that scene too. Um, the whole thing with when they're contemplating whether to torture him or not, and then different points of view, and it's all interesting. Really good scene. Um, also, I wa- I'm interested to know what Lincoln's thought process was because it's. It kind of not not like him to to just let Finn die, and then when Octavia cuts herself, 
and, you know, potentially poisons herself. Then he is suddenly, you know, okay with telling them about the antidote. So he seems less like the, the sort of impartialist, pacifist kind of Lincoln that we know, and more like someone who cares about Octavia specifically and thinks the rest of them can go to hell or something. So um, that's, we never, of course, get to know what his thought process was. But other than the fact that, you know, he, he was generally very scared of communicating with them at all because he thought it would, it would be considered treason, which it was eventually considered to be. So yeah, um, that's kind of my way of rationalizing it. But so Shaheen, if we're moving on to your MVP, of course you pick something weird and random, which we all enjoy. So <laughs> your MVPs, let's hear them. Um, I don't know what MVP is and I don't care. Um, oh, wow. I, I like Reese and her father, Tor. Can you explain who they are? You know, since since you always pick the, <laughs> they're the, like, the, the little random. girl, the little girl and and her dad who uh, was in the calling, the one person in the calling that we actually knew, and and they brought us to really care about these people in one episode, and then they killed him. So yeah, and and they they were kind of I liked the, how they were real. Like Reese wasn't all sweet and lovely. She was like a little brat, and she she kind of she didn't want to hug her dad, and like the whole the hug was more awkward than romantic. I really loved that. Like it was real. It was like a real father daughter relationship. So I really cared about them, and then he went and died. That to me, um, made the impact of the calling much, much bigger. So yeah. they played a valuable part. <laughs> they played they on the your most valuable player? I don't know. Yeah, that's what MVP means, most valuable player. In that episode, I think they were. I don't know what MVP means, and I don't care. Thanks, Shaheen. Yeah. Thanks, for a- thanks for asking beforehand what these terms mean. Oh my God! He has a, I know he has a problem with acronyms. We've already established this. Yes, but I, I actually looked this one up, and I know what it stands <laughs> for. I have to look it up every time someone says MVT, M- MVP. I, I have to look it up. But um, but I know I knew what it stood for. I just don't care about that concept. So okay, well, that that's great that you don't care. I picked a valuable <sighs> player. I'm so, not in the business of determining who is most. Well, it's your personal who is most valuable, and like I said, mine was well, mine was pretty um, mine was pretty just default because Raven played a very key role. I think I think you're right. Like Reese and her father pay, played a, a key role in getting us to care about those 300 people because we're going to assume that they they all have families and people that they care about. And it's it's great that they have just these two point of view characters. And Shaheen, you're right. They do have a real father-daughter relationship. She's like, oh, I don't want to give you a hug. And, and he's like, that is, you know, that would not be his ideal goodbye from his daughter, but mm-hmm. he's going to take it because that's the last time he's going to see her. Um, and, of course, you get, you know, the scene at the end where, where he's holding her barrette and he eventually, you know, passes out. And then the barrette falls from his hand and we're all just just like, this, well, is, this is really happening, isn't it? There's... <laughs> Like, it's I was, too late. I was thinking that maybe like they will open the door at the last minute. I was like, no way. The, the very <laughs> first time, I was like, no way this guy is going to die with his uh, his daughter's bread in his hands. Yeah. 
That's why. That's why. That's why I went on my little high stakes rant, guys. This yeah. show is for fucking real. They don't pull punches. So, the counterpoint to that, though, I would say, like you're you're saying that that Reese um, and and Tor like made like humanized this this group of three hundred people and made you care about them. I think that that was a real problem that we actually had in season three with um, the killing of the Grounder army that was outside of of uh, Arcadia. Was that we 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 were kind of supposed to care about them because like they are because we care about Lexa and we care about Indra. But they were still, we never were humanized to them or anything. And so we only ever see them as a field of dead bodies, which um, is perhaps we're supposed to then be kind of in Bellamy's mindset or Pike's mindset, you know, that they're just these faceless people or whatever. But the show also kind of asked us to care about it too. And I I found it, I actually did find it really hard to care that point in the future because all of a sudden it was just, Oh, there are 300 people there that you've never met, but now they're dead. So, eh. you know, um, I, I think yeah. I think it well, was. Well, later we met Nyla, uh, or we realized that uh, Nyla's father was one of them. Sure. Yeah, I mean, but it, at that point they were they were full into trying to to get us into Bellamy's redemption arc. And again, we didn't even know Nyla's father. We saw him in one glimpse, and right. uh, in uh, one head of part one as he was leaving the trading post. So. Yeah, I, Joe, I mean, you're totally right about kind of how the show has progressed. And then, then you get this, these 300 grounders that we, we can't form a connection to. And I think that might have been, I think it might have been more powerful if, if we had. I think the shock of killing those grounders basically in their sleep or whatever happened was supposed to be that, that thing that got us really into that storyline, pissed off, feeling something. But yeah, I think it, I think it would have been a powerful thing to see, to see grounders other than Lexa and Indra and Lincoln as, as people just doing their thing out in the world, you know? Yeah. You know? Like we saw these people, you know, on the arc in the calling and like, you know, they were, they, they gave enough of these, you know, sort of more minor, you know, players, they had lines. You got to kind of like care about them a little bit. Like you spent actually some time with the camera on their faces and we didn't get that with the grounder army. Like we didn't care at any point, but anyway, moving on. One of the, one of the things that I think is interesting to note in, in the, the first, these, these episodes, and then some of the dialogue that, that occurs between the women um, in, in these episodes. So, so Clark, Raven and Octavia, a lot of their conversations one-on-one with each other, it's very interesting. They don't pass the Bechdel test. And, uh, for those of you who are listening and, uh, unfamiliar with the Bechdel test, it's basically when two women are talking together and they should be named characters. Um, and they should, in order to pass the Bechdel test, they have to have a conversation that, that, doesn't involve a man. They're not talking about a man. So in a lot of these conversations that they have with one another, obviously Raven and Clark talk about Finn a lot. And it's also interesting that Raven and Octavia, they have a conversation that doesn't pass the Bechdel test because they both talk about Lincoln and Finn. Um, and these, these conversations, it's, it's strange because it sets up these little um, animosities between the women and it, some of these animosities keep going and going and going throughout the series, uh, especially between Clark and Raven. 
and very much so between Octavia and Clark, but their animosities start switching from from you know what's been done to Lincoln or love triangle with Finn into some very very different things. So even though these these conversations don't pass the Bechdel test, I think the show progresses past it. And and you also note that that just because they're having these conversations about men um, early on, it never and and they have animosity and kind of resentments towards one another. It never stops them from getting shit done. Uh, so if they have to work towards a common goal, these women come together and do it. But I just, just on a rewatch, I think it's so interesting, a show that has purported to be progressive and very feminist and blah, blah, blah. If you, if you go back and watch some of this early stuff, there are some problems, not problems. There are some kind of tropey type stereotypical things that happen in these conversations with women. Well, um, I- to that to that point, like in when I was doing the rewatch uh, with my friend who hasn't seen the show before, like the the whole love triangle aspect with Raven and Finn and Clark, that was something that she specifically called out as something that made the show feel very CW. That that was like a plot line that they went for. Now they yeah. definitely resolved it fairly quickly, but there were several times, like especially with Finn being sick or whatever, when there was like a little bit of snarkiness kind of going back and forth between Raven and Clark. And my friend would just be like, you know, Oh my God, you guys have way more important things to be doing like (laughs) than dealing with this boy, like actually trying to save his life as opposed to decide, you know, which one of you is going to get him. But I do appreciate that the show kind of resolved that fairly quickly and sort of had both of them be like, "Eh, we don't really need you Finn. Like I kind of like that both of them sort of dumped him in you know, a a fairly quick sort of resolution to that. I wanted to point out that um, first thing I wanted to point out is the Bechdel test is for um, usually for an entire movie. So in this case, it would be like for an entire episode. So the question would be, uh, are there conversations in this episode where two women talk to each other and they're not talking about a a man? And... um, I don't know if any of these episodes fail that test because for them to fail it, it would have to like all of the conversations would have to be about some guy. And I don't know if that's the case, but uh, to a broader point, I want to say that what's the spirit of this test? Why, why do, do we even have this test? It's a sort of um, shorthand way of asking the question, how are women portrayed in this work? Right? How are they represented? Are they in positions of power and authority and expertise where, where they talk about things, uh, you know, um, decisions that they have to make and other sort of, uh, professional stuff? Uh, and it's not about relationships. It's not about their kids. It's not about, um, you know, diapers and, you know, laundry. Uh, it's, it's about, or cooking, wow. you know, it's, wow. it, they're talking about, you know, real stuff. That's the spirit of the test, right? And, you know, when, when you look at a, um, a show like, say, Breaking Bad, which is, you know, gets so much praise, you see a lot of the stuff happening. Like, it, it's in that context uh, that it bothers me when you see, like, women are all housekeepers, pregnant, whatever, you know, so it's like, they're, they're, they're you know, they're always cooking, making dinner. So it's, and then when they talk to each other, it's like, Marie and uh, Skylar talking about Walt or Hank or, you know, so um, that's that's when it becomes annoying. 
right? So, so the stakes are high enough in the hundred to be like, we can have a conversation between Clark and Raven that is about Finn because he is fucking dying. Like that's um, sure. I mean, like Clark and Raven don't like they're do they're just just like any other just two people, just persons on this. In this story, they do things, they decide matters of life and death and uh, yeah. technical stuff and, you know, how to build a radio and how to contact the Ark. And they also talk about their shared love and their, you know, whatever. So it, it all happens and I'm not bothered by it, you know? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not bringing this up because I'm... It. I'm not bringing this up because I'm especially bothered by it because I think they, they quickly move past it. And I think these conversations aren't vital and they don't define the characters uh, and they, they don't necessarily always push their stories forward. But I, I just thought just on the rewatch, it was just something that dawned on me. I, I was, I was like, huh? So they're not passing the Bechdel test, but at the same time, it's not really that big a deal because they eventually will. And it's, and it's the whole show and the characters and their dialogue between one another becomes a lot more interesting as we move through the show. So I'm not, I'm not trying to lay any dispersion at the feet of, of the writers or anything like that. It was just something that it's a small little nitpicky things that you kind of notice on a rewatch that you come to, come to appreciate and, and start thinking about. I know one of the things that you wanted to talk about, Shaheen, as far as some of the, the major themes uh, introduced in these episodes is, is war and conflict. So right. uh, what were your thoughts around that? Why, why is this something that's important for you to, to, to discuss? Obviously, it's a war story and, you know, it continues to be a war story. But uh, I really like one of the things that I really like about how conflict is um, portrayed on the hundred, especially the ground or sky people conflict, um, is that it's really fucking hard to say when the war actually started. And I really love that because I think that's something that people often don't realize in real life, that trying to assign blame for who started the war or, or who's responsible for it is a lot of times just pointless because you can always trace it back to something else right so like did the war start when the uh the hundred landed or when jasper got speared or when they uh shot the flares or uh when they started the grounders started killing uh the delinquents in in the woods like it, it, it each event is caused by something before it and it just kind of traces back to an unclear beginning right um it's i think very thought provoking in that way and of course eventually you come to see both sides of it and you start to really ask yourself you know who's to blame because now uh through this work of fiction you're now connected to real characters on both sides uh so you can you can kind of see the situation from both sides and that's that's great that's something that i think not very many shows accomplish. Uh, I mean, even if you think about the, the ones that are in this uh, genre and, you know, supposed to be very similar, like BSG, you know, uh, Battlestar Galactica, uh, you never really come to sympathize with the Cylons and yeah. see the story from their side. They kind of seem like they might have a side to their story, but it's all obscure and strange. <laughs> And we don't really spend much time with it. But The 100 is really special in this way. So 
I don't know. What do you guys think? I would say like jumping ahead ever so slightly to the next batch of episodes that we're going to watch. There's actually a scene that like is exactly what you're talking about where mm-hmm. Clark and Anya are on the bridge and Clark is like, <laughs> hey, you guys attacked us. And Anya's like, listen, you landed in our territory. Mm-hmm. You like wandered around into it and you know you're you sent missiles and burned down one of our villages like granted it was flares so you know it was unintentional but from the perspective of the grounders like these are an invading people from the sky who have been like who came here and started blowing their shit up like obviously i I actually really like that we got that other side of it that like laid out every single thing that sky crew had done and well of course they would be seen as violent invaders And, and clark even says like oh, I, I I can see your point. Like she immediately <laughs> backed down and was like, oh, when you put it like that, I can I can really see why you are upset about this. <laughs> yeah. um, let's open a dialogue. So actually, again, that's jumping ahead a little bit, but I think to Clark's character, I think that that was kind of one of her very early, very strong moments of not everything is her own perspective. Not mm-hmm. everything is Sky Crew perspective. Right. I also like that uh, none of these uh, these factions in this conflict, uh, the sky people, the grounders, the mountain men, none of these factions really map perfectly onto either like us, like our civilization or any situation that we've had. I know that a lot of people try to compare this to colonialism and that kind of issue, but it, it it has similarities, obviously, but it's not doesn't map onto it perfectly. Like um, obviously, for example, for one thing, uh, the sky people don't definitely don't have the military advantage. So all things considered, uh, they don't they're not in a position of military power uh, in this conflict. So that kind of throws this analogy. Uh, out of whack. And I like that. I like that it kind of helps us detach ourselves from any conflict that might exist in our world. And even though you kind of see parallels, nothing maps perfectly because otherwise you would be, people would be very partial and, and, you know, biased about it. Uh, Or if you think of, you know, like the uh, conflicts in the Middle East, like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it has similarities, but it doesn't map perfectly onto it. So I like that. I think that the the conflict is done very well because it does show you both sides and the considerations that that each side has has in place when really it's about protecting their people. I mean, it always comes back to doing whatever they need for their people to survive. I kind of wonder, and I don't know if this is ever answered in the series what did the grounders first think when when Sky Crew landed, when the delinquents landed? Like, who the fuck are these people? Where did they come from? Did did, did they have any knowledge that there was anything up in space that, that could send a dropped ship down? I mean, you I think have, that they did because Lincoln talks about it in season two. Yeah, well, Lincoln, I guess somebody had, had come down in a pod before mm-hmm. um, and Lincoln Some found him. apparently did that as a, as a way of doing suicide. So. But yeah, like to have like a group Earth. of like a hundred people just suddenly like a hundred people who were obviously not there to kill themselves, a hundred kids, like that's I'm surprised about the show that like that wasn't and considering like that Becca, you know, the very first commander came from the sky and stuff like that, like I kind of would have expected there to be like a lot more like grounder religion mythology, like about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when like Cause like if, if like a group of like people, like humans, like let's not even talk about like, you know, 
crazy aliens that we, you know, have nothing in common with. But, like, if a group of, like, humans suddenly landed, like, people would be up in fucking arms about it. Like, and the fact that this was just, like, oh, here's some people who, like, are, you know, on our turf. Like, I'm kind of pissed at them. Like, I'm, I'm surprised by the show that it, that it wasn't a bigger deal for the grounders. Like, I would have lost my shit. My yeah, understanding was always that, um, or my assumption was that they, they were, they were really, um, or what's the word? What did you say? Um, up in the arms about it. Like, uh, they, they <laughs> up, up in the arms. Yes. What did you say, Joe? I think it's uh, up in arms about it. Yeah. I think that um, they, I, I thought that's why uh, they speared Jasper because um, they, they were just getting ready to kill all of them. That's always what I assumed. Um, I, they were I, just I, working I, up to it. And, and the flares kind of just was the last straw for them. That's how I thought. I, I assumed that they speared Jasper to stop him from entering into to Mount Weather territory and triggering acid fog. I don't think that that makes sense because the acid fog got triggered a bunch of times yeah, by, by the grounders true. themselves, and um, and it was a regular thing, and they had a horn system worked worked out, and you know, so I don't know, and why is that such a big deal? And they almost killed him, so I don't know. It's anyway, he was supposed to die, so it's like a kind of, like if it's a warning, it's yeah. And, like, we're supposed to assume that these people just decided that uh, spears are better than words. I don't, yeah. Well, but, <laughs> I, I mean, it, with, so, so if you consider, if you consider what we learn later on about the Grounders and that there's there's 12 clans and that there are obviously some very violent and warring factions such as, uh, such as Ice Nation, mm-hmm. I can understand why their first instinct would be to resort to violence because they, they assume that anyone in their territory is going to have some malicious intent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so why would, so why would uh, Tree Crew uh, treat Sky Crew any differently than they would an Asgeta incursion into their territory? They're like, you're on my land, uh, you either get the fuck out or uh, we'll just kill you. Um, yeah, we'll go with killing you. Um, why Why Tree Crew didn't just wipe uh, the hundred off the face of the earth as soon as they landed when they obviously were like babes in the woods, had no fucking clue what they were doing, had no weaponry, didn't have um, walls built up. That's what I'm like, well, you guys had the opportunity to kill them straight off, basically, from the moment they, they landed, but you didn't, which makes me wonder how organized Tree Crew is as a clan, because we know they have different villages here and there, but is there really any organization? We never. These are kind of like mysteries that we never really learn. And and even though we move forward in the whole series and we learn about the the commander and that mythology and the twelve clans united blah blah blah, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of knowledge gaps that are never answered for us. And and again, I think that the story just naturally moved forward. The narrative isn't going to go back and revisit some of these plot holes because number one, it it can't afford to, and number two, they're they're just not important to moving the whole storyline forward. So. It's again, it all comes down to if Anya and Clark just could have completed that conversation on the bridge, if people just fucking talk shit out. Which they, Finn set up, by the way. Yeah, well, we're, we're, getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but <laughs> Finn and Lincoln working together. Um, I don't know why I'm the Finn defender here, but. Um, Finn defender! Just trying um, to balance the, the hatred. 
I don't have hatred in my heart towards you anyone. You do. Just admit it. <laughs> it's okay. That's it's your uh, way of getting your hate out because otherwise you go out and take it out on real people. So, um, oh, I do all the time at work. So it's, <laughs> you just it just you pick a colleague that you hate that week and you give them a name tag that just says Finn. And that's all you call them for the whole week. You're like you're Finn this week. It's like employee of the week except opposite. <sighs> yeah, and I just kind of ride their ass because I give oh. zero fucks. Wait, okay. what? 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 Figuratively, not literally. I don't know your HR department policies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone does, so <laughs> that's the nature of HR. The hundred, guys, the hundred. The hundred. Okay, okay, okay. Do you guys have anything else you want you want to discuss before we start wrapping this uh, this episode up? Um, let's go. Let's go with our well actuallys. I feel like well, that's we've, always we've got some, we've got some good well actuallys. I've got two well actuallys. So. Going into our well, actually section. So, well, actually, everyone uh, trips balls for hours in day trip, but somehow <laughs> Clark is like fine after a half hour, and she realizes her dad isn't real. Like, dude, seriously? Like, everyone's back at camp, being the most beautiful broom and a broom closet full of brooms, and eating pine cones because they they tell them to. But Clark's like has a chat with her dad and then like, Oh, you're not real. And then of course, um, uh, I think we need to start something, um, with Clark. It's called concussion count. Cause she gets nailed in the back of the head by, um, what's a dude's name that goes after, uh, Bellamy. I don't know, but he was uh, like 45 years old. Dax, I was like, you Dax. are the worst example of an almost 18 year old. Like this dude was old. <laughs> he had an ARP card. Um, right? yeah. So, so he, he clocks her in the back of the head. It's so we've Dax, got concussion. Right? Yeah, it's Dax. So concussion count number one. So Clark has the most amazing constitution on the face of the earth because she can she can trip balls for like 30 minutes and then come straight cold sober out of it. And then my other well, actually, is that Clark and the rest of them fear that they're vulnerable to winter and and exposure. And they they tell the, the arc this. Hey, but guess what? Winter never comes. Uh, the Starks would be greatly disappointed. There are no white walkers. I thought the winter was the the three months that we skipped at the end of season two. That's that's the the shortest ass winter I've ever seen. Um, I don't think there, I don't think there was, I don't know. They might've had winter, but it's, it's unclear. I actually saw a calculation of this. Like there is a date that they landed like November or whatever. And, and there is, if you think about it, it kind of falls Winter kind of falls, the beginning of winter falls at the end of season two, so. Okay, then how the fuck did Clark stay alive out in the woods? Like, not to be whatever, like. <laughs> it's Clark. You know, it, like, how did Clark survive with, an East uh, Coast winter? Oh, oh, that makes wait, sense. Yeah. All she did, she slit open a tauntaun and crawled inside it, obviously. <laughs> and just hibernated? Yeah, just because she has all those concussions, rotting, she can slow down her <laughs> rotting tauntaun course. I would like at this point, can she pass the NFL concussion protocol? I would say no. Um, and then we've got somebody else here has an a well. You know that that one was not mine. You know that one. <laughs> so okay, so the sacred <laughs> sorry plant. botanist Shaheen now. <laughs> Did you notice how they uh, they water the sacred plant or whatever it like is? Like a little eyedropper. <laughs> that yeah, is like, like I'm sure this poor plant is getting zero water because it looks like a sturdy plant. I I feel like it has no roots on the surface. It the roots got to be kind of deep. 
Um, and then they drop like one drop of water in there, which, you know, it's just going to just going to get evaporated. Um, so you're proposing hydroponics. Like they're why just wasting they their water. Have a sacred hydroponic Zen tree. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not an irrigationist, <laughs> um, but I know that won't work. I know that much. Well, actually. Well, actually. So <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's all okay. I had. So we, we had some pretty good well actuallys for these. And um, these to, in response to a comment, was it Danny's comment about the sun? Oh well, my no, God. You, We're going to get into details you, here, aren't we? You actually feel the electromagnetic waves on your <laughs> skin, whether you're outside on this side of the glass or on the other side, doesn't matter. So, so Clark has felt the sun? Yes. Okay. Except for the part that gets reflected off the window but is shield. it is it perceptible like is it perceptible in space like is it, it is it does she feel warmth through sure. the glass of course yeah oh my god do we know that i mean warmth is uh just light so as long as you feel light you feel warm all right i you know all right no oh. i mean physically speaking it makes no sense but we can but we can accept that clark is a poet whatever <laughs> All right. I so, thought she was a painter. Um, any anything else you guys want to cover before we start talking about what we're going to be doing next episode and other TV shows to be watching? Uh, no. Are I we think, not I doing think... mind blowing or uh, mind blowing moments? The other stuff, character arcs. I guess character we already arcs? kind of covered those. Yeah, we we yeah. I skipped around in our run sheet because I'm irresponsible and I want to keep you guys on your toes. <laughs> um, what we're going to be covering next episode, we'll we'll be talking about the last five episodes of season one. So from Unity Day on to We Are Grounders Part 2, the exciting conclusion to the first season. Again, if you want to follow us be sh- or send us any comments, questions, or whatever, we gratefully welcome feedback. Uh, you can you can send it to us um, at May We Geek Again. That's on Twitter. And then on Facebook as well, the facebooks.com's forward slash may we geek again. Did I do it better that time? I mean, yeah, whatever. Just, just yeah. shut <laughs> your pie hole. Shut your goddamn pie hole. So uh, we're going to go into our little TV shows to recommend. We'll start with Shaheen because he's watching nothing. What are you watching, Shaheen? Um, I rewatched Breaking Bad in a sort of a deconstructionist order. <laughs> um. I don't even. I don't even know if I even want to know. <laughs> yeah, no. I just watched it like from the middle of season three to the end, and then from the uh-huh. middle of season two to the end of season three, and then from the beginning of you know something like that. So uh, it was fun. You're a little weird. overrated, but uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Best it's show, great show. ever. Yeah, it's a great show. Well, um, a little overrated. So uh, you're gonna have to start watching something else um, to talk about next time. For, yeah. for our fourth episode. Joe, do you, do you want to give us your recommendations for TV shows to watch? And also, I think you need to, I need, to, I think you need to give praise to somebody. Yeah, no, 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 no. I got, I got this, uh, in, in a rare <laughs> moment. I will say that you were right. Uh, 12 monkeys is, I've got it recorded, is great. <laughs> 12 um, monkeys is the real deal. Yo. We, we caught up this, this weekend on 12 monkeys and, uh, yeah, it's good. Like time travel, good characters. Um, it's 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 a great show. Let's see, we've started and kind of gotten about halfway through um, Winona Earp, uh, which is sort of like a very 
interesting counterbalance to kind of the very serious things that I've been watching. Like it gives me a real sort of like Buffy meets Veronica Mars meets, you know, other snarky, cute, silly shows. Um, And it's, it's not great, but it's good in the sense that it's entertaining and it's very sweet. Like it's, it's kind of a really nice, like, palate cleanser between all of this like post-apocalyptic time travel shit that I've been watching because that is literally like we went from 12 monkeys to checking out an episode of um like we watched you know orphan black and we finished up that and then starting outlander and it was just kind of nice to sit and be like okay well we have demons and some supernatural shit but like we're also gonna like make a lot of dick jokes like it's (laughs) it's it's a it's kind of a nice filthy funny little show yeah, it is very lighthearted, and it does get better later on. The the one criticism I have of it is I, I really don't like jokey bad guys. To me, that doesn't really set up high stakes, and it doesn't make them believable as a a really important antagonist. I don't um, think it's a high-stakes show. Yeah, I know. I realize that. It's like the, the 100 has spoiled me. It's like the 100 has ruined me for everything else. <laughs> um, so with my recommendations, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to say 12 monkeys. Uh, they recently had one of the best episodes of the series ever called lullaby. It was awesome. Made me feel all the feels and was a great, great callback to groundhog day, including some meta references to groundhog day. Um, and then, huh, I'm going to be judged for this, but oh. my guilty summer pleasure every single summer for like the past I 10, 15 years is Big Brother. <laughs> Wait, really? Yes. Like, who watches reality TV anymore besides a apparently shit ton you? Of us. A shit oh ton of Oh my God, us. you are legion. Like, like people, I'm not as bad as some people. The, the, the house has live feeds that people subscribe to, and they sit on Reddit the whole day and night and just discuss what's going on in the live feeds. I'm just like, ah, uh, I'll catch an episode or, or two a week. Um, but it's just, it's just great. It's one of these things where people do power plays and it's just, it's fun watching people be so fucking stupid. It just is. Um, so big brother coming this summer with Julie robot, Julie Chen. So I I think, uh, we're about ready to wrap up guys. Any, any parting thoughts to give our listeners? I'm kind of sad that we didn't read these quotes from, uh, the interesting dialogues. Can we read them real quick? Uh, just two of them. Go ahead, Shaheen. You can read, um, I assume. <laughs> so uh, just really interesting uh, pieces of dialogue between Jaha and Kane, um, both generally speaking and with respect to what happens to them in the story in later episodes. So uh, one thing Jaha says to Kane is, you have a strength that is not weakened by sentiment. And that's exactly what it's going to take for us to survive, which is interesting to think about. Is that really an accurate description of Kane that he has a strength that's not weakened by sentiment because you might think he's actually his his strength is that he has a lot of emotion um, yeah but he doesn't let it out until sympathy. later though so in, interesting and then Kane says to Jaha one decision does not define a man uh, which is ironic because I feel like the calling defines who Kane is from this point on oh. and then uh, and then he says, our survival depends on having a leader who can inspire people to self-sacrifice. Um, you're that man, not me. So Cain says this to Jaha, which is interesting. Um, yeah. 
And Jaha really is that person. Uh, you know, he continues well, to do in, that. Inspire is sort of a loose term as opposed to, you know, coerce and give the shit. But yes, <laughs> like, <laughs> that seemed inspirational. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I am inspired. He's a regular to Tony Robbins. Look, she, uh, he I inspired e- Ali to. Uh, I can to either that. I can either take the chip or be crucified. I am greatly inspired to take the chip. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, ninety-seven percent of people took it voluntarily. Not let's not forget. Well, never because never forget. That's because they're weak. Um, so, Joe, you have anything to wrap up with? Um. No, I think I think I'm excited to to kind of finish up this season. Um, I remember really liking the season finale um, and yeah. completely misjudging where the show is going. Um, oh. By that finale, like I kind of thought that we were in a like Maze Runner. Well, we'll get to it next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. I am excited. Yeah. No, I, 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 I am excited too. I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for season one. I think it's highly underrated, especially when you do these rewatches and you pick up on these little things. You're like. And then and and then you see these things like constantly get called back and called back like Shaheen uh, talking about Jaha and Kane. These things just continue to find these guys and they don't really it, it's just great continuity. So, yeah, I, I yep. can't wait to to finish up the season. Um so join us again in 2 weeks everybody. We'll be we'll be wrapping up season 1 and may we geek again.